You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. Thanks for singing and reading scripture with us. And uh, we have something really interesting when we look at the gospel of Mark is that uh, the theme of a suffering servant all throughout the book is really part of the theme of Mark. And he, he opens his gospel in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, with this statement. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So we have right from the outset the thesis statement that Mark makes in his gospel is that he wants to convince people, anyone, any of his readers, that Jesus, the good news, that's what gospel means, of Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God. He's come to be the Daniel 7, Son of Man, who will rule and reign like the Ancient of Days. But the irony and the thing that's hard to grasp is that he's also the, uh, the suffering servant of Isaiah chapter 53. So from the outset, Mark wants to convince his readers in this gospel, that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God. And what's interesting is this title, Son of God, is only assigned to Jesus four times in the first half of the book. Two by God himself, one at his baptism, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. One at the transfiguration in Mark chapter 9, where God says, this is my beloved Son, now listen to him. Uh, But the question, and actually twice, demons call him the Son of God in in Mark 3.11 and in Mark 5.7. So what we see is that Mark is trying to, right from the outset, uh, convince his readers that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He's the one who's come. The question driving the book is, will humans recognize him? Will they see him truly as the Son of God? Will they see him? Twice God, the Father, points it out. Twice demons point it out. And yet you don't get till the end of the book to where you get a confession that Jesus is the Son of God by human beings. Will God's people, will human beings, will image bearers respond to their Savior? Will they see Jesus truly? And what's interesting is as the book of Mark builds, the very first half of the book, the first eight chapters, is all about Jesus' authority. They see Jesus in his power over demons. They see his power over death. They see his power over sins. They see his power over nature. They see his power over everything. And then we get this super weird miracle right at the midway of the book in, uh, in Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26, where Jesus goes to heal a blind man at Bethsaida, and uh, he heals, he, he spits on his eyes. That's weird enough as it is. And the man opens his eyes, and he's like, what do you see? Well, I see, but it's blurry. People look like trees. And then Jesus touches him again, and then he sees clearly. He sees truly. And it's sort of a living parable because the very next passage, Jesus asks his followers, who do the people say that I am? And Peter gives his wonderful response of, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Well, he doesn't say the Son of God. That's coming later. He says, you're the Christ. And then when Jesus then goes, let me tell you a little bit about what the Christ is going to do. The Christ must suffer. Then Peter pulls him aside and says, Jesus, we don't talk like that. The rescuer of Israel, the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to triumph. He's not going to die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Your eyes are not on the things of God, but they're on the things of men. And you see this theme of sight, this living parable, is that the disciples see Jesus somewhat. They're like the man when he first gets touched. They get Jesus' authority but they don't understand the necessity of his suffering. 
And what you have for the second half of the book is Jesus trying to drill into people that the one who comes with all of this divine authority must also be the one who suffers for his people. And they don't get it. They're like the blind man. They see Jesus kind of, but they sort of have this second reality. Until they see Jesus, they won't see Jesus clearly until they see that he must suffer. So like the blind man, people are beginning to see Jesus' divine authority. Peter, in his confession, talks about that. But they do not yet see the necessity of the cross, evidenced by Peter's rebuke of Jesus. So this blind man serves as sort of a living parable and a turn in the book. Jesus is, has the authority of God, but now he must suffer for his people to bear the wrath of God for them. And three times in chapters 8 through uh, roughly 14, he tries to get them to understand that he must go and he must suffer. He must give his life as a ransom for many. There must be a blood atonement, a sacrifice, and that he is supposed to be the one who does that. The point being, to see Jesus clearly and truly and fully, you must embrace both his divine authority and embrace his divine work on the cross, that it's necessary, that it's integral, that it will happen, and that it must happen as a ransom for many. You do not see Jesus truly until you embrace both his authority and his work, his person, who he is, and what he does on the cross. So then we get to Mark chapter 15. We didn't read this, but we get to the actual crucifixion account. And just watch this. This should be up on the screen. So again, we've got this question hanging out there. The very first line of Mark is that this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And no human confesses that he's the Son of God to this point. God does twice. Demons do twice. It hasn't happened yet. Peter got close. He kind of sees, but he doesn't fully see because he gets called Satan in the very next verses. That's not good. And then we get to this point. Mark 15, 21 through 39. Jesus is now being taken up to be crucified, to be executed by the Romans. He's been rejected by his people. And just read this and just feel the weightiness of what's happening here. This is the crucifixion account. This is the center point of the whole Bible. This is why we're gathered tonight, is this event right here. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. So they've decided he must be crucified. Jews, Romans, everybody's collaborating in this execution of this one who's done only good things. He's done only good things to this point. It's getting him killed. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them, to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription, that's about 9 a.m. It was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They're mocking him. And with him, they crucified two robbers, one on his right, one on his left, the indignity of being crucified with criminals, the Lord of glory. The king, the king of the Jews, crucified between two thieves, one on his right, one on his left. And those who passed by and derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. And so also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another. 
saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Again, this theme of seeing. That we may see and believe that you're the Son of God, that you're the Christ, that you're the King. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Now, I don't know if you don't know, know much about crucifixion, but you're hanging from your arms, and you actually slowly suffocate to death because you have to push up on your feet, and that hurts on the nails in order to exhale, and then you have to rest on your arms, and you can't exhale. You have to go up and down until eventually you just lose strength. Your lungs fill with fluid, and you drown. So these robbers who have very little breath are using the little breath they have to join in the mockery of the man in the middle cross. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, so roughly noon, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Three hours of total pitch darkness when the sun's at its highest. And at the ninth hour, so 3 p.m., Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders heard it, said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And some ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, and saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So the crucifixion is happening. Jesus is rejected by people. We see that at the beginning. He's rejected by people, all kinds of people. Jewish leaders, Roman soldiers, Gentiles, thieves. Everybody is rejecting Jesus. Even people just passing by are rejecting him. Jesus has been rejected entirely by a full spread of humanity. He's rejected by nature. In fact, the whole universe goes dark, or at least the sky goes dark. He's rejected by God, rejected by man, rejected by nature, rejected by God. The Jesus who did all of this powerful work, demons, death, disease, power over all those things, subjects himself to the power of wicked humanity. God pours out his wrath on his son, and even the universe reacts to this event, this rejection, this wrath-bearing moment. He is, at this moment, the most rejected and despised human that has ever walked the earth. And as he breathed his last, the temple fractured. Access to God for all people was granted. The Passover lamb was slain. The way to God is now open. Sinful man can now enter into the presence of a holy God because of what has been accomplished on this cross. There's now no more wrath for those who have put their trust in Christ. For all who see Jesus truly, the way to God is now open forever. And look at what happens in Mark 15, 39. And when the centurion, a Roman executioner, a Gentile, a non-Jew, man who's just doing his job, he just does this every day. Executioner, trained killer. No interest in Jewish things, no interest in a Jewish Messiah. We have no idea much about this man. But when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man is the Son of God. 
and we get the payoff all the way from verse 1. Will humanity recognize their Savior? Will they see him? The religious leaders don't see him. His disciples don't even see him yet. No one sees clearly. No one sees him truly. They're like the blind man. They're catching glimpses of it. Some are offended. Some are drawn. Nobody gets it. And then the most unlikely person, the most unlikely person, at the moment he breathes his last, in Mark's gospel, is the first one to put two and two together. First one to be able to see Jesus truly. This was the one who has the authority of God, and now at his death and crucifixion, I now see this is the Son of God. The first human in the book of Mark to confess the thesis statement. The good news is that Jesus is the Son of God, and it's a Gentile executioner, the most unlikely person, who at the crucifixion puts two and two together. So the question that hangs in the book of Mark is, will people see Jesus for who he is and embrace him as the Son of God? And it's never who you would have expected. It was not the one who had done all the right things. It was not the one who was super religious. It was the one who had eyes to see, that God gave eyes to see. And he confessed that truly this man was the Son of God. So the question then that Mark would want us to wrestle with is that do you now, having read this story, the crucifixion story of Jesus, I just summarized the book of Mark for you, do you embrace him, his authority over all things? And do you also embrace his cross? That his death on the cross is for you as a ransom for your sins. That it was necessary that you needed a blood atonement to have access to God. You, in your own merits, could not have access to God. But Jesus came, Son of God, Son of Man, the suffering servant. To see Jesus truly, you must embrace his identity, his authority, and his cross. And in Mark chapter 8, he says we actually have to take up that cross and follow him. We must be willing to lose our life for this message. Do you see Jesus truly? It's not based on your works, not based on your merits, not based on what you have done or haven't done. But do you, when you see the crucified Savior, say with centurion, oh, this is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. So the question is, do you see Jesus truly? Embrace his identity, his authority, and his cross as your own, your own payment for sin, and your own way of life now in following him. That's how you see. That's how you see. Let's pray. Oh, God, would you touch our eyes and allow us to see Jesus? This theme of sight in the book of Mark this confession of him being the Son of God. You declared it from heaven twice in the book. Demons even recognized him. Will humans see their Savior? Will they embrace him as their king? Will the Daniel 7 Son of Man also be the Isaiah 5 suffering servant, Isaiah 53 suffering servant? And we thank you that Christ is all of these things and that by looking to him in faith and confessing that he is the Son of God, he's, he's the Son of God given for me, we can see all of the horror that happened on the cross and see the good news in it, that we have been, the way has been opened, the temple has been fractured, the curtain between us and you is now open, and we can step into full access, full acceptance, full assurance of our relationship with you. 
God, help us to see his identity, to see his power, to see the way and the reason that he gave himself up on the cross. May we see and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.